0: Hear the word of God from Malachi, John's Gospel, and 2 Corinthians 5. You can follow along in your own Bibles or on the screen. Malachi four two. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves. Let out of a pasture. John 1 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And finally, 2 Corinthians 5 17 through 6 2. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. This is the word of Amen. Thank you,
1: James. Wow, what a powerful passage. I am delighted to be with all of you this morning preaching on my favorite song. When someone asks me, Danny, what's your favorite song? I might want to say, you know, a pop song or a Christian song that I grew up listening to, but I have to say, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. And I am delighted to praise God and preach his word on this song tonight, today. All right, good morning. So I'm Danny, one of the pastors here at Waypoint. It's a joy and privilege to preach the word of God here with you, we're in an Advent series looking at some of the most loved and sung Christmas carols. Um, two weeks ago, we looked at the carol "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel," and uh, you're getting these handouts passed out. And because I didn't want you guys to cheat and read these ahead of time, because I was afraid if I gave these to you, you'd start reading them during the songs and the announcements and the other parts. So this was this was planned. Um, I did this on purpose. Um, so as you get your handout. Um, don't read it right away. It's tempting, especially the first line. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you. The first line is different than how we sing it. And you're going to wonder what the word welkin means. And I'm going to tell you. So you have to, you have to pay attention to every word I say so you can, so you can get the meaning of the word welkin because I'm not going to tell you right away. All right, so two weeks ago, we looked at the carol O Come, O Come, Emmanuel as Pastor Lawrence introduced Advent. Last week, Pastor Josh preached on joy and having joy when times are good and when times are bad And he based it on Psalm uh, 98 and the well-known Christmas carol based on Psalm 98, Joy to the World. Uh, Advent is a time of preparation and reflection. A time to remember that God fulfills his promises and that Jesus is coming back. When I was a children's pastor, I came up with a phrase to help the kids remember the meaning and the focus of Advent. And I, I would say God promised he would come at just the right time he came. And he's coming again to make all things right. And I'd make the kids say that over and over again. And I I want to say that over again. Because I think sometimes we forget. And we just get stuck in the, well, Jesus came and I know he's coming again. But what do do I do in this this tension time? And we look back to the promise and we look ahead to know he's coming back. So this is Advent. um, And Advent covers four weeks, the four weeks before Christmas. Um, Sometimes we use four words, hope, love, joy, and peace. And the pink candle is actually a different color, saying that even in the midst of of the turmoil, in the midst of the waiting, we can have joy. And that's the, uh, the pink candle is the joy candle. And in case you're a traditionalist, we're all out of order here. We're a little bit of non-denominational, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian. We, we got it all here. And we're just, we're just trying to celebrate Advent in a way that's meaningful to our congregation. So if you're a traditionalist, you'll be like, they did the joy candle last week. And we did because Josh was headed to Gambia and he wanted to preach on joy to the world. And I wanted to preach on Hark the Herald. So yes, we did break tradition but we're doing it on purpose. And some of you might even say, we're going to have five Sundays of Advent because this year, Advent, uh, Christmas Eve is actually on a Sunday. So we're going to do five hymns instead of four, and we're going to light the Christ candle on Christmas Eve morning and Christmas Eve night because, praise God, Advent is awesome, and we can make our own tradition here at Waypoint. So so uh, just just in case you're a traditionalist. Actually, the Advent wreath was was most people think came through Luther. Advent had been Practiced for over a thousand years before him, but he, he loved greenery, he loved evergreens, especially in Germany where it was dark during the winter. So he came up with the idea of the Advent wreath and the Christmas tree as ways to remember this hope that we have in Christ. And uh, again, the white candle is the Christ candle, and we will talk more about that on Christmas Eve. So um, this morning we're going to look at hope, love, joy, and peace that Christ brings by taking a closer look at the carol, the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald angels sing. When I lived in China, when our children were young, we lived in a large city in a complex of 11, 31-story buildings built on a giant shopping mall overlooking a public square. I actually got this picture off Google. Uh, I Googled this place where we lived. The building in the back, I guess it would be to the left. See those balconies? We actually lived in one of those balconies. You can kind of see it. We lived on the 11th floor. You probably can't see ours, but we lived in one of those balconies. Um, and our, we lived in this giant complex and it overlooked this public square and um, there was a large department store there and see this is, that's the department store. That's one of the department stores, not the one that faced us. No, we'll go to the next slide. So this is our balcony. This, I set up a pool. It was so hot in the summer. That's Isaac and Maggie in the pool. And you can see in the distance, you can see the department store advertisement. So we looked out upon this department store that way, and if you look the other way, there was this giant square, a public square. And uh, next slide, I don't want to bury Maggie and Isaac too much. So during Christmas time, this is a hotel, and then the other one is a shopping center. The shopping centers would decorate for Christmas. Now Christmas wasn't traditionally celebrated in China, but they needed a holiday in between two Chinese holidays. So they're like, hey, why don't we celebrate Christmas and try to sell more stuff? Uh, isn't that what Christmas is about anyway, right? Selling stuff? You know, so if the picture on the right is fascinating. I didn't take this. I actually got it from uh, a P. an AP reporter who lived in our city took this, and I, I got it from him. Uh, it was actually on the web. That is a human being, a man, building a Christmas tree made out of Coke cans. People in the West, they're like, well, Christmas is Western, Coca-Cola is Western, so... To sell more stuff, let's build a Christmas tree out of Coca-Cola cans. It was a massive Christmas tree built out of Coca-Cola cans. Um, So this is a little summary of what would happen every December where we lived. Uh, Christmas like I said wasn't an official holiday, but the stores wanted to sell stuff and they wanted to sell lots of it. Next slide. Here's a picture of Maggie in front of a Christmas tree. So during the month of December we could walk around any square in the the city and see uh, Christmas stuff. so all week, and then during the weekend, this is, this is where I'm going with this long illustration. During the weekend, they would blast Christmas music. Out. I mean, blast it. Handel's Messiah, they would play it over and over, the hallelujah chorus, over and over again. Like we would wake up about, what, Erica, like nine in the morning, once the first shop opened, and they would just start playing it hallelujah you know just over and over and over again and they would play uh then they'd switch to joy to the world which is another triumphant song and then they would switch to hark the herald angels sing they'd play them in english they'd play them in chinese and they particularly love the mariah carey version of hark the herald angels sing which is also one of my favorites too if you haven't heard it it's really good um her christmas cd was available everywhere and even the lyrics were printed in the insert and some of the editions had them printed in english and then translated into chinese so imagine the scene each December, millions of urbanites hearing and seeing this, the signs of this strange foreign holiday. It got so confusing that on Christmas Eve, tens of thousands of college students and young adults would go into the city squares, like the one we lived above, and look for a way to celebrate Christmas. This was also kind of the, the beginning of exam time. They were stressed out. In some way, somehow, a manufacturer of inflatable baseball bats and other inflatables decided to start selling them, and this is, this is a picture outside of where we lived. Um, and they would just blow up, buy inflatable baseball bats and confetti and just celebrate Christmas Eve. They had no idea how, what to do. A lot of these, you can't really see it, but these are actual, uh, a lot of them have American flags on it. I really think that a company somewhere near us, a factory had a, a leftover of these, and they thought, hey, why don't we sell them? And they tried to sell them at various Chinese holidays and no one bought them, and then all of a sudden at Christmas Eve they did. So it turned into this massive celebration. Uh, But also every year while we were in China, um, we realized that this is what the masses were doing because they were just trying to figure out, but there was also Chinese Christians. And they were um, at the church worshiping. Uh, Actually, the picture on the left is a a house church and the picture on the right is a state church. Uh, The state church wouldn't even... They would actually do their Christmas Eve service for the believers on December 22nd and 23rd because they knew on December 24th all these college students would come just to check it out. And they wanted to have it available for them. So they had strategically thought through um, a way to invite more people. There would be probably in a small building that might be a little bigger than this or about this size, they might have 1,000, 2,000 college students come on Christmas Eve just to check out what is this Christmas thing. Um, So every December, we would have a chance to share about Jesus and to share about Christmas. Uh, every, every December we lived there for six years, Eric and I got invited to, to teach English classes, to give lectures, to explain what is Christmas. And every time we gave those talks, we'd start with the songs they were fam- familiar with, the songs that they knew and loved already. Silent Night, Jingle Bells, which I had to show them was really not about Jesus or about Christmas, uh, but it was fun to sing nonetheless. Handel's Hallelujah Chorus, Joy to the World, and Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So how did a song written in England almost 300 years earlier become such a powerful witness to the gospel in China and, and all over the world? So let's look, out, let's look at the song. So take out your sheet. Everybody's got your sheet. This is the original hymn. Hark how all the Welkin rings. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you what Welkin is. So Wesley was a Bible literalist. He started learning. uh, John and Charles Wesley were two brothers. They started learning Greek and Hebrew when they were about six and seven, when their mom, Susanna, started teaching teaching them. Um, And in the story, Wesley would believe that the the host of heaven sings and the angel proclaims. And Welkin is a word for the host of heaven, like the expanse. It's an old English word. George Whitfield actually changed the lyrics, uh, and him and Wesley were always in this, Ch- Charles Wesley, were, Wesley was mad at him for changing the lyrics, because Wesley thought, the angel didn't sing, the angel proclaimed, the host sing. So uh, the original lyrics were welcome. Now we're okay with it, because the angels, it's kind of like they're one group. They're singing, they're proclaiming. So it's okay to say, hark the herald, angels sing, you're not a heretic. That's why it's still today, and even the Methodist hymnal. Uh, so that's, that's where it came from. So Wesley wrote this hymn as a Christmas hymn. It's called, it was called the, Crim, the Hymn for Christmas Day in, 13, in 1739. Who is Charles Wesley? Born as the 18th child to a poet and pastor, Samuel Wesley and Susanna Wesley. The Wesleys had 19 children. Nine of them died in infancy, including one who died because the maid accidentally smothered the child with, with a blanket. Um, he was the brother of the famous John Wesley. They're actually, um, their house burned down two times during their life. And there was, there's a story where John, the house was on fire and, and John grabbed Charles. John was about eight and Charles was an, uh, a toddler and pulls him. And, and John literally believed that's when God, got, he calls himself pulled from the fire. Um, they were born into privilege and poverty. Their dad was highly educated, and their mom was high, was educated for the day, but because they were in this, the Church of England was in flux, and their dad, their grand, one of their grandfathers was a dissenter, and their dad was part of this dissenting group. They never really had a parish that was wealthy, and they went into debt, and the dad could never get out of debt, and he actually spent time in debtor's prison. So, can you imagine if like Pastor Lawrence couldn't pay his bills, and we didn't have a pastor for a while because. He was in debtor's prison. Well, that's, that's, that's the home that the Wesley brothers and, the, and their other brothers and sisters grew up in. Uh, he was very bright, as was his older brother John, and he was invited to Oxford at a young age in his teens. They started a group called the Holy Club. Uh, people made fun of them and called them the, the Bible nerds or whatever. That would be a modern term. And they even called them the Methodists. The Methodist was a derogatory term because they had methods for fasting and praying. They wanted they wanted holiness, which was unique for college students at the time, which I would say is similar even to today. Uh, another guy who joined their group was a undereducated guy but was really bright, named George Whitfield. So John, Charles, and George Whitfield, and, and a couple other people, were part of this original holy club, this Methodist group seeking holiness. Um, Charles was so bright that he got a to go to Georgia to be the personal secretary for Oglethorpe, who was the governor of the colony of Georgia. Uh, It kind of failed. He didn't really like it. He returns to England. On the way home, he actually ends up in the port in Charleston and sees slavery for the first time. And it just crushed him. And it it affected how he preached against it his whole life. Um, When he gets back to England, he turns down a couple high-paying offers to be a professor or to take over some some businesses from some distance cousins, because he wants to see, he's seeking holiness. But then in 1939, in the spring of 39, he gets really, really sick. And he begins to doubt his faith. And he's laying there in his, in his deathbed. He thought he might die. Um, and as he's there, a guy named Peter Bowler, a Moravian from Germany who was in London at the time, begins to really speak into him. He had been Bowler's English tutor, and Bowler was teaching him how the Moravians used these these methods of really trying to seek God and trust God. And Bowler would read to him, and John would be sitting right there, John Wesley, uh, Luther's commentary on Galatians. And through the process, Charles would just go back and forth. One day he'd like, I believe it. And then another day he's like, I don't believe it. And he really, really struggled during this sickness. And then before he gets well, he, he, he's, he's hearing this, this commentary by Luther on Galatians and just processing it. And he just, God just reveals himself to him on Pentecost Day, uh, 1739, and he says he fully believed the gospel, he fully believed he was saved by faith alone and grace alone. As he gets well, right after it, a couple months later, he writes in Can It Be, which is his anthem, saying I'm saved, we sing that here. He also writes, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Uh, He's a changed person. Before he sought holiness... He, th- he, he wanted to be sanctified before he was justified, and he realized this is, what, this is the gospel. And if you look at the hymns and poems that he wrote before 39 and what he wrote after 39, there's a, there's a fascinating shift in his understanding of who the gospel is and how the Spirit works through people. Um, he began to preach, evangelize, write poems and songs. Uh, he, in his lifetime, he wrote over 9,000 hymns and poems. 400 of them are still sung today. After his radical conversion uh, he began to preach and he, he, he was preaching just a few months later and another famous pastor came to hear him. Like the, the Church of England pastors didn't like Whit, Whitfield, Wesley, or John and Charles Wesley, because they were preaching to the common people. And in the process they started, all these people wanted to come hear them because they were telling them the gospel. This is the gospel. The gospel isn't being part of the Church of England. It's, it's, it's letting God transform you. It's accepting his grace. And as Charles is preaching, this famous pastor comes to hear him speak. And I read it in the autobiography. And one thing the pastor observed is he's like, every time Wesley preached, he'd preach on the end of 1 Corinthians 5. Like he just kept preaching on this, the same passage we just read earlier. And he said he'd preach for one hour straight with pure passion because this pastor who saw him knew that the gospel had changed him. So this morning, in light of Hark the Herald, where it says, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled, which is a reference to Romans 5 and 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to look at this idea of being reconciled to God. And we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and He has committed us to this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were making His appeal through us. And I don't want to focus on that. So I want to think about three teaching points from this passage that James read earlier and that I just referred to. Uh, the first one remember that you're a new creation god has reconciled you and us to himself through christ never forget this memorize this say this over and over and over again when times are good and when times are bad you are a new creation god has reconciled himself to you through christ to me through christ this is good news this is the hope Of the gospel every time you sing this song peace on earth and mercy mild god and sinners reconciled we need to be reconciled to god this is what the world needs number two that i see from this second corinthians 5 these latter verses in the chapter remember that god has reconciled the world to himself in christ Uh, sometimes us here at waypoint might feel overwhelmed by all the missions and outreach opportunities presented to us you know, reach the triangle, reach the nations. Have you felt overwhelmed? I, I have. So, and I'm a pastor. It's my job. It's okay to feel overwhelmed. But guess what? Here's the good news. It's not our job. God is already doing it. He is reconciling the world to himself. He is inviting us to be part of the process. He's not saying, you got to go do it. If you look at the Wesley brothers, before they really accepted the gospel, they were trying to be holy and do everything on their own power. And then when the gospel transforms them, then they go out and realize, oh, because I'm saved, I can love others. Because I'm saved, because I'm set free, because I've been loved, I can begin to live, pursue holiness, and understand that even when I fail, Christ has already forgiven me. It's nothing that I can do, it's all that he can do. God has reconciled the world to himself in Christ, and we get to be part of the process. He does the work as we yield to the Holy Spirit. The third teaching point I see from this passage, and we're going we're to spend a lot of time on this. Remember that God has committed us to the ministry of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors. I didn't say it. God said it through Paul. The church in Corinth was an absolute mess. So because Paul has to deal with all their problems, we get some of the richest theology in all of Scripture. Praise God. We need to be reminded, just like they did, that God, that we're com- that God has committed us to the ministry of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors. And as Christ's ambassadors, um, I want us to think about what in the world should we do? And the pun is intended there what in the world should we do? So, a couple action points, if you want to call them, and and I'm going to weave in Wesley's story, and, and we actually weave in some of this through these action points. So, I want to say this. Christ has committed us to the ministry of reconciliation, and we are Christ ambassadors. So, first thing, use your gifts, talents, experiences, strengths, and your weaknesses to proclaim the gospel proclaim the gospel. That's what Wesley did. His gift, obviously, was poetry. He was a pretty good preacher, but he wasn't quite John Wesley or George Whitefield. But his legacy still lasts to this day all over the world. He used this gift. Now, not all of us are as gifted as Isaac Watts, who we learned about last week, or Charles Wesley, but all of us have experiences, talents, strengths, and weaknesses. All of us can use our gifts to present the gospel. But I do want to start with this. What is the gospel? Like how can we tell the story? And that's where we as pastors, as teachers here, we want to help you do that. I really love international students. I have a passion for them. God brought me to China the, as an international student. I thought I was going to Croatia on an exchange program. I end up in China. God brought me there. In the process, I met not only students from China, but I met students from all over the world. God began to show me that I have a passion for this, that I love this, and that I was pretty good at engaging people from different cultures. In the process, I learned a lot. I failed a lot. I made a lot of mistakes um, along the way, but I like to teach others. So if you want to reach international students, come to one of the trainings we have. Come hang out with us. Come... Come talk to me and, and I'll give you ways to do that. There are other people in our church who have figured out ways to reach their neighborhood, to reach their workplace, to, do, to reach refugees, to reach the poor. To, there's so many pockets of society and so many people here, God has gifted and given experiences. So let's work together, but let's use these gifts and talents to proclaim the gospel. Tell the story. It may not be, the story may, you may not just say, you're sinful, you need God. You might have to say, you know what? The world, you're right. Someone says, hey, I hate the world. I hate this. You know, I, I can't even listen to the news. And you might look at them and say, you know, you're right. The world is broken. But God did something about it. 2,000 years ago, light broke into the darkness. Take them to John 1. You know, show them the gospel story. Show them that, don't just focus on, you know, parts of the gospel, but show them the big picture. They might not realize that they need to be reconciled to God. And they may not even know what that looks like. So begin to share the gospel. Live the gospel. And that leads into the next point. So Christ has committed us to the ministry of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors so we can know God's word. We can use God's word. And we can teach God's word. I challenge all of you to just dwell in God's word. There is no way that Charles Wesley could write this. I mean, all these references on the side, someone added later a famous Wesleyan uh, scholar, you can buy a book, and he takes, of all Wesley's famous hymns that are still sung, a scholar wrote through, and almost every line of everything Wesley ever wrote has a Bible passage. But John Wesley didn't have the Bible next to him. He just wrote these because the, the scriptures penetrated his heart so much, and he was so familiar with them that it just came out as he used his gift. So know the word. Use the word. Some of you may be like, I don't like to read. There's a couple methods. You can buy the Bible on MP3. You can get it for free. Put it in your mix. Listen to it in the car. Um, use the New Living Translation. If you have a hard time reading the ESV or some of the other translations, it just takes too long, use it easier to read translation. Just get to know God's Word. Let it penetrate you. And I promise you the rewards will be just amazing. You will begin to just be speaking truth to yourself and believing truth and speaking truth to others over and over and over again as the gospel penetrates you. The third thing, yield to the Holy Spirit and trust the Spirit to work in you and through you. So you have Samuel Wesley and Susanna Wesley. Some people call her the mother of evangelicalism because her boys and George Whitefield kind of spread the word everywhere. You know, the American revivalists, the people who told someone who told someone who told your ancestors, might have come from one of the Wesley brothers or Whitfield. They, they went out to England and to America and shared the gospel. But you have Samuel, this poet and this pastor who's in debtor's prison, and Sus- uh, Susanna Wesley, who her, nine of her children die, and, but she just is faithful. And then they have children, and they have John and Charles. And Charles writes a song that this guy who he likes, but then also he disagrees with a lot, changes the lyrics and publishes it himself. George Whitfield changes the lyrics and, pu- and pu- beats, you know, and publishes his own Christmas hymns, stealing his friend's words and, and making Wesley mad. But you know what? God used Whitfield's fame and his popularity to spread the song even further than the reach that Wesley could have. And then here's the cool thing about the story. The song had kind of died about 100 years later. It wasn't sung that much anymore and, uh, a guy named William Cummings, who was an apprentice of Felix Mendelssohn, who was a great composer in England. Mendelssohn dies. Cummings takes Mendel, a, a composition that, that Mendelssohn wrote honoring the printing of the Bible when Gutenberg's printing press. So Felix Mendelssohn writes this great composer. Dun, 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 dun. Cummings inserts Wesley's and Whitfield's song into that tune, and then it becomes, if not the most, one of the top three most recognizable Christmas hymns. Without that tune, who knows what would have happened to this song? Now, probably Mendelssohn wouldn't want Wesley's tune mixed in with his work. Who knows? Charles didn't want Whitfield's revision. Charles Wesley didn't want George Whitfield's revision. But the Holy Spirit used all these things so to now, today, all over the world, this song is sung and recognized. How many of you guys know Charlie Brown? So what happens at the end of Charlie Brown? Like Linus gives the gospel, and then Charlie Brown gets it, and they decorate his, his wimpy tree, right? And they make it a beautiful tree, and then what do all the kids sing? Charles Schulz does this on purpose. They all point their heads straight up. I think I have a slide of that. They all point their heads straight up, right? And saying, hark the herald angels sing, right? Right? Look how good that tree looks. It looked terrible. And there's Linus's blanket, the blanket he drops when he tells the gospel story. God used a guy who could have been rich. Wesley grew up in poverty. He could have given it away. He, he decides to give his life to the call of the gospel. Messes up a little bit along the way. Luther messed up. All these guys. Every person that we bring up here and kind of put on a pedestal, they, they had a lot of sin in their lives. They were broken people like we are, but they, they kept trusting God. God used the Spirit. Now we have this song today. Just look at it. So take your sheet of paper. I just want you to look. We can leave Charlie Brown up there. Hark how all the welkin can ring. Glory to the King of Kings. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. Universal nature say. Christ the Lord is born today. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold Him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Listen to these words. This is the gospel. When Maggie, when my kids were babies, we were young. They want me to sing to them. Derek, or they, they, all of them. Maggie, Isaac, Derek. They all wanted me to sing at night. I'm a terrible singer. But this tune, because, uh, what's his name, Mendelssohn's tune, I can actually sing this song. Even bad singers can sing this tune, and it's not too bad. And I would sing this to my kids, because I was like, at least it sounds decent, and they get to hear the gospel. We have a video of Maggie walking around the house at two years old, I didn't ask her if I could share the story, singing, um, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. She was singing the gospel. She had no idea what she was singing, but she was singing the gospel. Pleased as men to men appear. Jesus, our Emmanuel here. You can see where Whitfield changed that one too. Hail the heavenly Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. That reference to Malachi we looked at. That's the last chapter of the Old Testament. They're looking forward to this Son this, th- that brings light to everything. Light and life to all He brings. Risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Praise God. Now here's the part we don't normally sing. Wesley wrote in a couple additional ones. And I asked Nathan, and we're going to sing these this morning. Come, desire of nations, come. Fix us in thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head. You see all this rich theology? Now display thy saving power. Ruined nature now restore now in mystic union join thine to ours and ours to thine. I love this verse. Adam's likeness, Lord of face, stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Let us thee, though lost, regain thee the life, the inner man. Oh, to all thyself in part, formed in each believing heart. And you see the Bible references? Everyone, I'd love for you to go home during Advent, read all these passages. It's fascinating. I'm going to put a few more. I'm going to put Come Now Long Expected Jesus and in Can It Be on the city tonight with the Bible references, just some other songs that we sing so you can see how Wesley would weave the scriptures into every line, that every word that he wrote. All right, so my fourth thing, we don't even have to, you can just leave this slide up because I love this side. God has committed us to the ministry of reconciliation, and we are Christ's ambassadors, so let's sing. In Psalm 104, it says, I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to God as long as I live, or some translations would say as long as I have breath. People need to hear the gospel. We are Christ's ambassadors. People in East Asia, remember the crowd beating each other with the baseball bats? You can put that picture up. They need to hear the gospel. They they heard it in a song. They heard Mariah Carey sing it probably earlier that day. But every person in that picture needs to know that God is reconciling the world. And through Christ, they can have new life and hope. We have hope. We have the fruit of the Spirit. There are people who don't know that. And we can bring that to them. We are Christ's ambassadors. His appeal is through us. Next slide. South Point Mall, not quite as big of a crowd, is it up? Oh, not quite as big of a crowd as as East Asia, but there are people there, just like the malls all over the world. These are our neighbors and friends. They need to know that God is reconciling the world. Let's sing the gospel together. You know, today when we sing, right? The band can come on up. We're going to worship. Let's sing. You don't have to sing like the Charlie Brown singers, but if you want to, that's okay. Joy made reference to a quote. Missions exist because worship doesn't. People, worship is beautiful. I'm an Auburn fan. I love college football. It's my one vice, I guess, in the world. And when I go to, I was at the Iron Bowl this year. I haven't been in Iron Bowl in 20 years, but my cousin got tickets. Isaac and I got to go. We were already in Alabama for Thanksgiving. I got to see my team beat the number one team in the country and we dominated them. It was awesome. And grown men and grown women cheered and screamed and yelled, people want to worship something. We're going to worship something. We're going to worship football or pop stars or money, but people need to worship God. That's what we were made for. Let's stand up and worship. Let's sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing.